Hola, this is Felipe Massa. I won't be appearing in this podcast. Oh no, wait, I will. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. Just two of us this time. I'm the one called Gareth. He's the one called Richard. Hello. How you doing, Rich? Baby. Good. Call you Rich Baby, can I? No. I was musing on something the other day, which I bet you've got an opinion on. And that is, if you want a premium car, the smallest sort of size premium car that you can go for is about the size of the Mercedes A-Class. Unless you buy a Mini. I reckon the Mini is the only proper premium small car. Well, now by premium, you mean you pay a bit more for it, but it's a bit nicer. It's a bit nicer, It's a sort of marketing thing, isn't it? Because I suppose it used to mean premium would be like BMW, Mercedes, Mm -hmm. being your sort of big two German ones. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Mercedes C-Class was one of the best-selling cars in Britain in 2016. So was the 3 Series. So were a lot of BMWs, yeah, including yeah. the Mini. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Selling more sort of, than Mondeos, Yeah, yeah. yeah so that has been the it. case for a while. Yeah. And sort of premium, in inverted commas, mm. doesn't mean exclusive. Mm-hmm. That's the great trick they're pulling, is that they're selling lots and lots of cars for more money than Ford or Vauxhall can charge. And everyone still sort of thinks they're somehow sort of quite special. And they're not. Mm. I mean, it's like sort of almost everyone has a BMW or a Merc these days. Mm-hmm. And similarly, all the stuff that you would traditionally only find on Mercedes and BMW, you can get on a Ford, even to a lesser or greater extent. Hyundai and Kia offer that kind of stuff now as well. So what is premium? Well, they're still able to make you feel like you're getting something that's a cut above. Is it just the badge? No, because I think you get into most of those sort of cars and they feel a bit nicer Mm. somehow than a Ford. I can't quite explain it because Ford interiors aren't bad. Yeah. Vauxhall interiors aren't too bad. Hyundai interiors are all right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the fine detail, isn't it? And I don't necessarily think it's the experience of going into the showroom because my brief experience of BMW dealers not that long ago and I was thinking of getting an i3 again, Mm -hmm. they were not all brilliant, some better than others. It is only 2017. It's terribly silly of me to expect someone to return an email. Why would you, when it's your job to try and engage customers? That's just silly, isn't it? But not all of them, though. There was a chap I was dealing with at BMW Park Lane, and he was very good at that. So it's not all. They can't tar them all with that brush. But where were we going? Yes, it's not the dealer experience. I mean, I think there's a baseline level of crapness with car dealers, isn't it? People who are supposed to sell for a living, their idleness and their inept and then more recently I was fishing around for some offers on Renault Zoe's because I'd heard whispers of some incredibly cheap deals going and I thought if I can find a Zoe for as cheap as they could possibly go maybe I'll do it because of this ongoing thing where I think I should have an electric car and then I don't get one and there was one chap I dealt with and I can't even remember which dealership it was where in the country because I was basically fishing all over the place because whoever would do cheapness was getting my business it hasn't happened <laughs> long story <laughs> Because I promised cheapness didn't come to that much cheapness, as it turned out. There was a whisper of a deal which then they couldn't honour, because it's a long story. Anyway, but this other guy, you have never encountered somebody who patently didn't read what had just been sent to him. So I'd say, right, here's what I'm looking for. And also, and you realise how car dealers now, everyone's buying on finance, aren't they? Or it's Mm -hmm. it's a PCP or it's a lease or whatever. 
And so they're used to sort of having to say, how much deposit have you got? And someone says, oh, well, I've got £2,000. And they'll go, OK, well, then your monthlies will be this. But they're just moving the slider. The total amount of money that will leave your bank account over a two- or three-year term will broadly be the same. Right. But they're trying to bamboozle you, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit, the less experienced car buyer, by sort of saying, no, don't worry, we'll only take 1,500 quid as a deposit, and then your monthly payments will be just £349. And I go, ooh, actually, I was expecting, yeah, I could, I could afford £349 a month. And it's like, yes, but they could make the deposit a quid. Mm-hmm. They just have to make those monthlies higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they could make you put down five grand or ten grand, mm-hmm. and then your monthlies would only be £200. You go, ooh, only £200 a yeah. month? That's ooh. brilliant. Yeah. No, you've paid ten grand up front, yeah. you idiot. And I do think that's how they get people. Lack of clarity. is Exactly. It's just honest. keep on moving it's the sliders misleading. around. Yeah, yeah. And it's not misleading. It's no. just that you have to add everything up, mm. including in the admin fee and all this sort of stuff. And so I said to him, I just want the total cost is all I care about. I don't care if you want a massive deposit from me in a little amount, that's fine. If you want tiny deposit and then slightly more. But when I add it all up, it has to be, I have a figure a smaller in Smaller amount. Then, it has yeah. to be smaller. That's a good approach. Then you can conceive. And then he wrote back and he went, so how much are you looking to spend a month? <sighs> I was like, no, no, let's recap on this. And I said in my original email as well, am I going to be doing fewer than 6,000 miles a year? They sent to sort of ban these leases and things by how many miles you're going to do. And then he wrote and he went, and how many miles a year? And I'm like, I just told you this. Oh, no, he's incapable of reading. And then he started getting facts wrong about the car. Oh, it's no. Like, oh, no. Dude, I've been doing my research on The this. end. You just, yeah. Oh, dear. And so in the end, and he couldn't do anything decent on the price. And just as a final, this is the, the mot juste of the whole thing. You just go, actually, I don't think I mean mot juste, do I? I don't know what I mean. Well, use the word because it impressed me. I have no idea what it meant. It, but... it means the motive, doesn't it? But it's not motive. I don't mean motive at all. A raison d'etre? I mean, yeah. what I might there's probably, oh, I wish Sog was here. <laughs> He's brilliant at this sort of stuff because he speaks French. But anyway, <laughs> um, the final sign off, the payoff that spoke volumes about everything about this blithering buffoon. Trying to flog Renaults in some godforsaken <laughs> corner of Reading or something. Um, I wrote back to him. I just went, look, I, you know, I, I, I'm afraid I can get more competitive price elsewhere, so I'm out. But thanks for your time. All the best. Bye. And he wrote back and just wrote, "You're welcome. Y O U R. Welcome." I was just like, "There we go. You're a moron." Oh dear. It's just. I mean, come on. If you just get stuff like hey. that right, if you're communicating with people on a daily basis, which you should be, if you're a car salesman, sort your shizzle out. If the president of the United States is a moron which he clearly is. Yes. I don't think that's opinion. I think that's a fact. Yes. I'd go further than that. I think he's a psychopath. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Anyway. Then you, we shouldn't be surprised at people working in dealerships. I know. It's, it's, it's probably a bit... I mean, let's be honest. Anyway. Yeah, so premium cars. We were talking Ooh, about we've premium We've quite far from I the like shore it. on that one. It's good. Premium small cars. The Mini is the only one, I think. The Audi A1 doesn't quite cut it for me. Do you remember when Vauxhall put out the Adam? Yeah. Which, as a name, is flawed. Mm. Uh, but the Adam, they were trying to sell it as, you know, the Mini, this sort of premium. You're not going to sell a Vauxhall as a premium car, are you? No, but you can sell stuff if it looks cutesy. I mean, Fiat's not a premium mm. manufacturer, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, and yet the 500... Has a bit of that too. And what the 500 yeah. does is, and I know because I bought one new mm. uh, many years ago, is... It has a lot of options, so you can personalise it. So although, Mm -hmm. again, it's one of the best-selling cars in Britain, it's certainly, I think, still in the top 20, it feels like when you buy one new, it's your car. No one has one exactly like yours. Because that's the thing, I'd never bought a new car before. Same with Minis. Exactly the same with Minis. Mm -hmm. And to an extent, same with 3 Series, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know a lot of people are running around in 320Ds because they're actually company cars. Mm -hmm. But if you went in and bought a 3 Series... 
you could play tunes on the options list to your heart's content. Can I have a bright purple interior? They go, yeah, of course you can. Of course, that's uh, off the individual options list, so that's maybe three grand or something like that. But you can do a lot of things. And yeah, can I have a mm-hmm. light-coloured headlining or a dark-coloured headlining or medium headlining? You know, there's a lot of scope for personalising that car. I was buying our Fiat, and I was in the Fiat garage in town in Marlebone in London. And I decided I didn't like the seat fabric, so we had the leather interior. Ooh, fancy. Because it wasn't actually that expensive for leather interior, because as it turns out, most of it's not leather. (laughs) And then I wanted something else on it. Oh, I think the leather gear knob was sort of like 50 quid to match the interior. And I went, can I have the leather gear knob? And the salesman went, you can have whatever you want. We're going to build it for you. I've never bought a new car before, and I forgot you can do exactly what you want. Have it your way as... Who says that? Burger King. Burger King, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they don't mean it. I've been in a... Can I have three chips, please? (laughs) (laughs) They they won't do that. Um, If you were going to have a premium tiny car, and you've got the Fiat 500, would you have an Audi A1? Is that premium enough for you? I tell you what, the new... What do you call it? The A2? Is it the... No, the Q2. Yes. It's lovely, isn't it? No. Do you like it? I think... I think that's the most awful, uncoordinated-looking Audi. You're going to the ad, aren't you? I'm trying to find the ad. Yeah, that profile. It's the ad. In profile. Exactly. Why is it in profile? Because the front and the back are terrible. The back looks like a bad drawing of a polo. (laughs) And the front is this new Audi front that's really not a nice design. It's messy. The profile. I like what they've done, putting the Audi rings in the the third... What do you call that? The sixth light? Do we call that the Uh, third? The third light, yeah. Third light. I'm not sure that is. That's a pillar. That's solid. But having the Audi logo there, like they used to do in the old A100, yeah, with the CD part. So it should have CDs. Yeah, but I bet I've, the CD on that car's higher than a 1982 100. Anyway, it's got a little bit of BMW i3 about it. It's got a little bit of Mini about it, but much better than both of those cars. That's so strange. Have you seen line. one in real life? Do you know I haven't? The only one I've seen on the road. About half a mile from my house, I drive past it when I'm heading out to work and things. And yeah, it's not good. It's oh not dear. good. No, when you see it in real life with lights on it, this one's a black one as well. And black's quite flattering to cars, but we digress. Audi yeah. A1, however. Yeah. Girls' car. What? Who said that? It's not. Who shouted that? I don't think it is. Well, it's funny enough because uh, down the bottom of our street, someone's got one and it's grey and it's this lovely sort of farrow and ball sort of tasteful grey. Oh, yeah. And it's on some really nice alloys. And it's the three door. And I walk past it all the time when I'm walking the dog, and every time I do, I go, that's a really nice-looking car. It's the colour that does it. It's the colour just suits... You know how colours sometimes... Specific colour suits a specific car. Indeed. This, clearly. And I've never seen another A1 or any Audi in this grey. It's almost a bit undercoaty, but it's just... It's tasteful. Is it like the grey that you can get a JCW... You used to be able to get a JCW Mini in. Yes. Slatey. Yes. Slatey. Yes. You like that, slatey. It's got a bluish tinge to it, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That colour, my mother... You, hello, Finn. My mother used to have a Woolsey Hornet in that classic grey. Oh, yeah. Again, sort of gray. a little bit undercoaty, yeah. but nice, yes. Yeah. And I think that colour is genuinely cool. I think you're reacting more to the colour than the car. Possibly. The I do A1... think the A1 is a nice-looking little car. Mm-hmm. I realise I've never driven an ordinary A1, but the S1... Mm-hmm. I thought it was a tremendous little car. Really, really good fun. We'd do these sort of mad little four-wheel drifts around corners like your hot hatches should. I thought it was terrific. Quite an underrated car in its own way. And also, and I know this is terribly predictable for me to say because I'm a BL bore, but I sometimes <laughs> see little whiffs of the Allegro in the A1. Oh! 
Oh, the, I know what you mean. That real hippie yes, way. It's, it's yeah. Sort of, it's, yeah, it's hippie and rounded. Yeah. But, but whereas I don't actually find the Allegro pleasant looking, I do find the A1, I think, is quite a pretty little car. Here's the thing. I saw a picture of a Marina convertible. I can't remember who did. Wasn't Crayford. Crayford. Was it Crayford? They were, yeah. They were, they, and then Suntour, maybe? Or did they I mean, do the camper vans? I'm not sure. But a Marina convertible, if you take the C-pillars off a Marina, the boot of a Marina... Oh, it definitely had echoes of the Allegro or suggestions of the Allegro mm. to come about it. I'd never noticed that before. Mm. But never feel bad about being a BL bore. I'm the biggest Ford bore in the world. But listen, let me wrap this up for you. Mm. Here's a question then. If there are only one and a half or two proper premium little mini cars, you know, the Mini and the A1, what other brand could you sell as a tiny car like that and be properly premium? Oh, well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Do you know, funnily enough, I don't think at the moment Jaguar's still got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. to become more mainstream, which is what they sort of want and need to do. I think it's probably too early for them to drop down a notch below the XE. Yeah. Which, by the way, I've decided only today I saw an XE in the right spec. Again, uh-huh. spec-dependent car, because you can monkey around with that car too. And don't have small wheels on the yeah. XE. Oh, it looks yeah. terrible on you small need sort of, there's a, There is a certain set of alloys, which I don't know which trim level they're on, or maybe mm. they're an option, and they just look right. They're the right proportion for that car. And anyway, I don't know what spec this car was, but I've just realised the Jag XE is a really nice-looking car. It's weathering nicely, mm. and I love that sort of bobtail look it has. It's quite unusual. Not ready for a Mini, then? I don't think they can go down. Mercedes could, but then they've got Smart, and Smart is mm. a funny one that occupies this weird territory. People want smarts because they want to smart, don't they? Mm-hmm. It's sort of almost a statement City you're making. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not... We're, I don't know. So, no, so Mercedes... Pff, I don't know. Mercedes make trucks and vans. BMW and no can't because they already are that. Mini. Yeah, well, that's okay. So yeah. they've got Mini. That's, that's yeah. the clever thing. Do you know what's funny, though? Many, many years ago, there was an interview with a guy called George Simpson who was running Rover at the time, and mm. he said, yes, we are working on a Metro replacement. We actually became the Rover 200, the very roundy one that they yep. make in the 25. That was originally meant to be a metro Quite replacement. Small, it was yeah. going to be a super mini because yeah. super minis were getting bigger. And he said, we're just struggling with this idea that we can charge more for it, that it would be a sort of a semi-premium super mini in line with the fact that Rover saw themselves as a notch above mm-hmm. Vauxhall and Ford. And they just couldn't quite reconcile how to do that. And then actually BMW walked off with Mini and have made that successful. You can make Mm -hmm. a small car that people will pay more money for. It's nothing to do with size. The amount people will pay for a car is not directly linked to its size, necessarily. Apart from from the Aston Martin Cygnus. Well. (laughs) Listen, 10 seconds on this. The two brands I think you could take down to super mini size, which haven't done yet, Lexus. I think that would be a fascinating exercise, a micro Lexus. Yes. And... The most obvious one of them all, Tesla. Imagine a Tesla. Well, let, let, let them get the model, the model 3 out first. Yeah. But yeah. Ooh, yeah. interesting thought. And, and if they don't work out, if you think Mini used to be a cheapo city car that was now a premium, the answer is bring back Parodwa. Hello, Parodwa cars. Mr. Parodwa speaking. Mr. Parodwa, it's your head of analysis. We have an exciting update, sir. Your exciting update sounds exciting. Please continue. I have just discovered that Parodwa was mentioned on a British podcast, sir. Excellent. Add this to the tally of mentions for the last 12 months. Tell me, what does the tally stand at now? One, sir. Excellent. Maybe soon we will sell one of our cars. Petrol! We've got a huge on speed! 
I'm on the road again, as I often am, from London to North Wales. And at that very moment, I pull away relatively silently, but not completely silently. I'm in a Toyota Auris. I know Toyota tend to say Auris, don't they? But I'm going to say Auris, Toyota Auris. And I'm driving it up to North Wales because I've got a gig I'm doing in North Wales this weekend. And I thought it'd be an opportunity to take some coals to Newcastle. Because this car I'm driving was built in Burniston, in Derbyshire. But the engine was built at the Toyota engine plant in Flintshire in North Wales, which is my county, literally down the road from where I was born and brought up in North Wales. So I can almost claim this as a Welsh car. So bang, that gets a mention. You may have noticed we pulled away quite quietly there. I say we, I mean you and me. There's no one else in the car with me. Although I think you lot are actually quite used to driving around with me. The last time I did the trip up to North Wales was in the Sora, and the time before that was in the Rolls Royce, the Wraith. So I've made quite a different choice this time for good reason. I've got to go up on a Friday, and if you've ever driven north or south on the M1 on a Friday or the M6 or the M56 or the A55 all the way to Sanditna which is where I'm going you'll know that traffic can be really miserable and I was reading the spec sheet on the Toyota website the other week and it said choose the Toyota Auris hybrid if your journey has lots of stopping and starting yep Well, that's just about every journey in the 21st century, unless you live in the middle of the Hebrides somewhere. So you can see there's a lot of sense in having a hybrid system in your car. And it's an interesting hybrid system in this car. It's a mild hybrid. Yes, they call it a mild hybrid. Oh, I'll just give you a little bit of assistance. I'll recover as much energy as I can, but I haven't got a very big battery. I'm a mild hybrid system. Does that mean that the Prius is an aggressive hybrid system? I will recover all energy and utilise immediately. Very aggressive. Not this. Mild. Oh, I'm from North Wales. Quite mild in North Wales. So the first thing that you notice, if I can quote the mighty Chris Goffey, the first thing you notice is that the braking, of course, is slightly different to ordinary cars braking because of the energy recovery, and it takes just a little while to adapt to it. It's just a matter of driving style. We expect all cars to be the same these days, don't we? But they don't have to be. You know, you can get a similar experience, but you drive appropriate for the vehicle that you're in. I'm also intrigued about how the best way to drive this hybrid is. There's a school of thought that says you should freewheel as much as you can. There's a school of thought that said you should slam on the brakes and that gives you maximum energy recovery. I don't know which, but I'm going to try and explore hypermiling. I'm driving up to North Wales. It's over 250 miles, perhaps 270 miles to where I'm going in Llandidno. And looking at this car with a full tank, it says it's got a range of 599 miles. Which means I could do the entire journey without putting any fuel in. I wonder. 
let's see if that's possible. Oh, I'm just passing an M Sport van. I love those. I tried to get one for this program. M Sport are a South Wales, well, it's a South Wales company called Van Sport who convert Ford Transits into rather cool motorsport looking vans. I tried to get one, I failed to unfortunately, but I will try again having seen one. Anyway, sorry, back to the hybrid and the way to drive it. This journey is going to be stop-start, so I don't need something like the Rafe and Mysora, which will blast its way up elegantly and quickly. No matter how quick I drive, I'm not going to get there any quicker. I'm expecting it to be about four and a half, five-hour drive. I left London at midday. It's now half-past 12, and I'm nowhere near the bottom of the M1 yet. Well, I'm relatively near. I'm at Hampstead Gardens suburb, if you know your London. Not that it matters. So I'm still in the burbs, man. But I'm leaving the burbs. And I'm going to go to the country, going to the seaside. And I'm going to drive past the place where this car's engine was built. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the journey. I was also very pleased. The first piece of music I heard in the car when I turned it on was Totally Wired by The Fall. And this car isn't totally wired, it's partially wired, being a hybrid. It does have an internal combustion engine as well. In fact, it's got a 1.8 little 4, which produces about 136, I think, brake horsepower. I think 130, 136, one of the two. And it's got a little Lecky motor. I don't know the spec of the Lecky motor, and I'm not certain of the size of the battery pack. I'll have to check it. But the thing I do approve of with hybrids is pulling away under electric power. It is the logical thing to do, Captain. Yeah. Why have a stop-start system when you can pull away, use a slightly larger motor than you have for an electric starter, barely any larger, to get the car moving and then bump start it? It gives you a smooth pull away rather than that engine start. I know it means you've got to have a larger battery pack to accommodate enough power to be able to pull away every time but you've always got the internal combustion motor if you need it and the internal combustion motor on this car is indirectly connected to the drivetrain via a cvt yeah the old van dorn continuously variable transmission a pusher hybrid belt metal electric drive is that what they call it you hear a phone ringing who's that that's not my phone. That's the phone in the Bedford, oh no, the Renault van behind me. Chaps on the phone. That was very, very loud. But it shows you how quiet this car is. It shuts down the motor when it doesn't need it. And that really helps the level of refinement. I've always said this, the best refined cars are pure electric cars and with a hybrid you get a certain amount of that as well but how noisy is this thing going to be on the motorway well we'll find out in a few minutes as i'm approaching the north circular and i'll take what is supposed to be a stop start car for cities onto the motorway and see how it does i'm on the road as usual I'm on the M1. I stopped at Northampton. It's been a steady journey. Surprisingly, there was very little stop-start. I got on the M1 and we just rolled. I set the cruise control on the car to 56 miles per hour, which is the optimum velocity. 
and just kept rolling. I had a lane to myself. <laughs> Ridiculous, really. So I'm not really seeing this car at its stop-start best. What I've discovered so far, I rather like. I've one proviso. There's a lot of high-gloss black finish in the car, on the dashboard, and unusually, on the grab handle on the door. The grab handle is a big diagonal piece that sweeps down across from the top of the door near the junction with the dash towards where your elbow is where the controls for the windows are and it's finished in this high gloss black which reflects and when you're driving down the road you get reflections of trees passing out the passenger window or sky glinting between the gaps in the trees and it reflects on that high gloss handle and it looks like water dripping down the handle, I, it's caught me a couple of times. What's that water leak? No, how can it be? It's very strange. I've never noticed that in a car before. I know I'm a Star Trek fan and I always end up seeing Star Trek in everything. I've seen a bit of Star Trek in this car. The design of the air vents in the car look like the warp nacelle inlets on the Enterprise that features in the J.J. Abrams reboot of Star Trek. It has these sort of rotating things, almost like the turbine blades, the way they rotate gently in the nacelle of a jet engine. I have no idea what purpose they have in a warp nacelle, but it reminded me of those, and that, that cheered my heart. It's a cheery little car. And get this, I'm driving in eco mode. I made the decision to try and hypermile this entire journey. Well, the journey up anyway, and let's just see how that goes. So, I'm cruising at 50 or 56 miles per hour depending on the enforced speed limit on the M1 and it's scarious watching the fuel consumption gauge let me just get it up on the dash as I rotate using the controls on the steering wheel okay it's I've averaged at the moment 49.4 miles per gallon that's including what seven miles eight miles maybe in London and on the north circular so not all of it has been free-flowing the early section wasn't but that's pretty good average 49.4 miles per gallon now I've had it on cruise as you know and you get this average but you also get a spot check a digital update of how economical your car is being and frankly I think it's a bit optimistic it's showing between 75 and 100 miles per gallon on average, despite the average for the journey being 49.4. Curious, I dare say that you could drive this car very gingerly indeed and get some terrific mileage out of it. I'm driving it quite gingerly. Quite gingerly for me, I usually foot to the floor and let's go, Gareth Jones on speed and all that. But I'm, you know, trickling along subtly here and getting 50 miles to the gallon. That's okay, that's good actually, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's a petrol car and once upon a time 50 miles per gallon was something that only a good diesel, a very economical diesel would get. But look at this, 50 miles per gallon in a 1.84 cylinder car capable of carrying five people with some degree of style. I have to say I'm not completely sold on the style of this car. This is the business edition which has 16 inch wheels and 
you know, it has all the touch screen and all that, which works. And I'm very pleased to say that I finally got my phone music to play through the car. It took two reboots of my phone and a message on my phone which said that the client wanted to install some software. And I don't know who the client is. I've never seen that before on my Android phone. So I said, OK, go for it. It did. And then suddenly the music played. So is this car talking to my Sony Xperia phone and putting bits of software on it so it works? If it does, fine. It's Toyota. I'm happy with that. I think in this light of connected cars, you know, you need to be able to trust the thing that you're connecting your personal device to because in this age of Trump, I'm kind of concerned that internet security means that the CIA will be reading my Slade playlist on my phone. No, what will they think? This guy wants 1972 back. He must be a communist. Maybe they'd be right. (laughs) Anyway, not the communist in me, but the eco-friendly Gareth Jones in me is enjoying rolling along it really does actually remove a lot of the stress if you just say look I'm not going to try and be the fastest on this road I'm in no particular hurry so I'm just rolling at 56 miles per hour that's fine I interrupted myself there didn't I rather like Murray Walker I was telling you about the look of the car yeah I'm not completely sold on it I think there are far better looking Toyotas in the range of cars available at the moment. I think the iGo is very bold, very cute, wonderful little thing. And I think the Avensis looks better than it should for a car in its class. Uh, And this is okay. It's a bit short. I'm driving the five-door hatchback, the business edition, like I said, with 16-inch wheels, which is okay. It's all in the wheels. It's a bit business. The way the car looks, you know, it could be a Hyundai. And I don't mean that as an insult to Toyota. I mean that as a comment on the confidence of Hyundai's design at the moment, which is pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good. And getting better all the time, if not a little conservative. And this car is not necessarily conservative. There's lots of detail wings and flutes and creases and lights emerging from the bodywork in strange ways on this car. But maybe it's just the colour. The colour is called denim blue. And it's that slightly pale denim that we haven't worn since 1982, have we? <laughs> Admit that you have. <laughs> I haven't, I can't. You can only wear dark denim or black, as you know. So maybe it's the colour that makes this car look a little bland. I bet if it was red, I liked it more. I bet if it was white, I'd like it more. I bet if it was silver, I'd like it more. Maybe I'm reacting more to the colour than the style of the car. And I mustn't do that. Look at French marks these days. They put lots of bright colours on cars. You can buy the Cactus in some great colours. The DS range in lots of colours. And, of course, Renault. They like a very metallic colour these days, don't they? With their ochres and their blues and their yellows with a bit of gold in it. But maybe this car would improve with a better colour. But, hey, as a piece of engineering, it's nice. Richard Porter always says this, and he's right. You know, when you look at the key, you look at the key and you go, how good's the car? You can tell from the key. Well, in this case, I think the Auris must be a fantastic car. The key's ace. Just the right size, small, solid, slightly too heavy, but in a nice, well-engineered kind of way. And I suppose it's the same for this car. It's going to be slightly too heavy because it's got batteries on board. And the question is, what's the trade-off? 
you know, when you're in town, lugging those batteries around is okay because every time you stop, your energy recovery system recovers all that energy and chucks it into the battery. But if you're on a motorway, you're not recovering energy because you're barely braking. So all you're doing is lugging batteries around. That's the theory. Well, I'm still getting 49 miles to the gallon. I bet it probably gets the same in town, doesn't it? Whatever you do, it gets the same. We'll find out as I roll down the road in my Auris. Oh, music. I always like to tell you what music I've noticed sounds good in the car at the moment. And Bon Iver sounds good in this car. Yeah. That high falsetto vocal. I don't know. Maybe it's just the volume of the cabin that creates the resonant frequencies that that works to. But there you go. Who'd have thunk it, eh? That a Toyota Auris likes Bon Iver. Yeah, and you're listening to Gareth Jones on speed, coming at you live from the M6 heading north between Junction 15 and Junction 16. Welcome to a whole new feature on Gareth Jones on speed on the road called Drive-By. Well, you see, before I left London today, I got a message on Twitter when I announced I was driving up to North Wales from a listener or a follower who said, oh, as you drive past Stoke, Junction 16 on the M6, give us a wave. So I thought I'd actually do that on the programme. I've just left Keel Services because I was busting for a week. And this is the only thing, well, it's one of two things, about driving economically. The, the slower you drive, the longer the journey is, so the more often you have to stop for a wee so the slower the drive so the longer the journey is so the more often you have to stop for a week a non-virtuous circle if you've seen what I mean the other thing is that if you're doing 56 miles per hour trucks which are supposed to be governed to about that get right on your tail and start to get a bit fed up and so you have to keep letting them past and what happened was when I got to Birmingham I chose not to do the Midland Expressway I chose to stay on the M6 and traffic slowed right down and we crept along for quite a while at sort of 30 40 miles per hour but do you know what that did that improved my fuel economy dramatically i decided to drive in eco mode on this which stops you from slamming your foot hard to the floor as it were and i was averaging about 50 miles per gallon but now that average has crept up and up and up and it's now showing 75.7 miles per gallon. It was actually showing 80 miles per gallon, 81 in fact, a little bit earlier on. So, newsflash, or here's the headline, here's the takeaway from this. <laughs> the takeaway, that's what they say, you know. That driven circumspectly, then the claims for 70 plus miles per gallon that you get for hybrids like these are actually real. I've been driving like a mild gentleman. I dare say if I slow down from about my average 56 to about 45 miles per hour, I would definitely get an average of 80 miles per gallon. Certainly 75, definitely 72, absolutely 70. Amazing, genuinely surprising. So well done Toyota with your mild hybrid drive, which does seem to keep the car economical at lower speeds, even on a motorway. 
but like I said, there are two observations about driving slowly. One is that you've got to stop. You've got to stop because you need to eat all the time. And the second one is that if you drive that slowly, you won't make your destination by the time you've got to be there. And if I look at the map at the moment, it says I'm going to arrive in San Didno at eight minutes to six, which is a little bit later than I would have liked. But I'm happy because I've established what I needed to know. You know, I've driven, what, 150 miles or something? 163 miles, it says, at sensible speeds. And I know that this car will be economical. So I'm going to come out of eco mode. And I'm going to press, not normal mode, but power mode. So I get to my destination as quickly as I can. Otherwise, I will be late to introduce the events of the weekend to the two and a half to three thousand people oh suddenly this car's come alive i can feel my throttle suddenly becoming a lot more alert i can genuinely feel it that immediately even maintaining the same speed there's a sort of a softness to the resistance of the pedal that you get the feedback interesting well no point in me going any quicker at the moment because i've now got a 60 mile per hour speed limitation so i'll just set the cruise and cruise to that and I'll give you an update as we do a drive-by of the factory in North Wales where this car's engine was built and if you want to drive by and get Jones on speed don't forget to use the hashtag on speed drive by and we'll say hello to you your town your junction your village your road I'm still not there not even in Wales yet but I am close I'm on the M56 now, which is the last bit of motorway before you get to the A55 all along the North Wales coast. And the traffic's been pretty slow, so I haven't really had an opportunity to allow this car to stretch its legs. Listen to this, this is what a CVT sounds like. I'm doing 56 miles per hour, and I put my foot down, watch this. Yeah, the engine revs pick up first. And then slowly the car picks up. I'm now doing 62 miles per hour. You know, there's that lack of correlation. As some people say, a disconnect. I think they mean a disconnection between what your pedal does and the sound and what the car does. But that's okay, because that's a CVT. This car is engineered and biased towards economy. And if a CVT gives you that economy, cool. If it sounds different when you drive it hard and fast, that's cool. Anyway, the journey's been long and boring. It's now five and a quarter hours since I left London. It's not been a quick one. But to get me through boring old journeys, there's things that I do on journeys. I bet there are things that you do as well. You have sort of standard markers. The one I'm thinking about at the moment is the old man of Felsby. There's a mountain just to my left, Frodsham in Cheshire where there's a mountain with what appears to be a man's face as a profile and being as uh, Gary Barlow from Take That is from round here I always told my kids that it was Gary Barlow's face Gary Barlow was the old man of Frodsham that's right Gary Barlow the old man of Frodsham in Take That sounds more like a beetle than a Take That member anyway here's the thing that I do when I'm driving down the M56 I look for a landmark over on the light and that is a flame that burns. There's an oil refinery, a chemical works called Stanlow, that was made famous by orchestral manoeuvres in the dark, before they were called OMD, when they were orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. 
they recorded a song which I'm sure I could sing you one line without having to pay for it. It goes, We set you down to care for us, stand low, an image fading fast. Why didn't they say fast? They're from the northwest, not fast. But there's one chimney which burns with a flame, and you can see it from miles around. And I used to remember driving back from gigs with the alarm when there was an alarm roadie in a van and we'd see the flame in the distance when we knew we weren't far from home and Nigel and I, Twist the drummer, would sing together in perfect harmony. We set you down to care for us. Nigel would take the top part of the desk count of the harmony. Stand low. Nighting. Stand low. Always oh, sounded quite nice to our ears. We set you down to care for us. Stand low. So I'm reminded of that. And the other thing that comes up is a landmark. Well, it's the English Welsh border. And what I do when I get there, I'll tell you when I get there in a couple of minutes. This is my favourite bit of any journey home to North Wales. As you arrive near the River Dee, there's a sign which says Croesaw y Gymru, Welcome to Wales. I'm home. I've crossed the border. And literally as I cross the border, on my right-hand side is Deeside and Sealand Industrial Estate. Sealand is an RAF base where I used to fly ready-controlled aircraft with my dad as a young man and also Shotton Steelworks was here a great steelworks which was torn down by the Thatcher government in the 80s but has since been reinvested I'm pleased to say and this is where Toyota have an engine plant and they've built engines here now for maybe years and they supply engines to the Burniston plant in Derbyshire and sports engines all over the world they build a range of engines and I know that they build the engine that's in this car and the new high riding hybrid Toyota that you can buy which looks rather sexy actually I rather like the look of that car not just because it's got a Welsh engine no really oh listen talking about Welsh engines here's a bit of news I'm about to make a documentary for the BBC about car making in Wales the story of two particular car brands that you will know. We've talked about them on Gareth Jones on Speed and that'll be a proper radio documentary. If you think Gareth Jones on Speed is a car programme with a slight bias on Wales, because that's what it is, because I'm Welsh, then this programme I'm making for Radio Wales will be a Welsh programme with a bias on cars. And therefore, doesn't matter if you're Welsh, if you're interested in cars, you'll enjoy that show. I will let you know more about that show as it evolves. I'll tweet about it and, of course, I'll mention it on Gareth Jones on Speed. But right now, as the time is 5.30, I've got to get my foot down as I go up the Aston Bypass to get onto the A55, as you know, a road I helped design and wing my way to Llandidnog because tonight I am expected at the Gathering, which is the annual fan club convention of the band I used to work for many years ago. The Alarm. They remain great friends. Mike Peters is still a great ally. And every year 
gets a whole bunch of people from all over the world together and he plays a couple of gigs over the weekend a long acoustic set on the Friday night so an even longer electric set on the Saturday night and guests appear and I get to see lots of old friends and he plays all our favourite tunes and some new ones and varies it every year my role I introduce what's about to happen on stage and I do the interviews during the daytime so if you'll excuse me now I will make my way over there and hopefully I will get there and I'll give you another report on how this car is to drive when it's in power mode after the weekend and on the way back right off to work And finally, with the merger between Vauxhall Opel and Peugeot Citroën close to fruition, the two car makers have outlined plans to consolidate their model ranges. In future, their medium-sized hatchback will be the 30 Astra, the larger family car will be the Insignio 8, and the company's Maka and Cactus SUVs will be combined to make the Kaker. Oh, that's going to go well. I'm on the road again with a slightly huskier voice than I had last time we spoke. Hello, it's Sunday now. I'm on my way back to London, having completed the gathering, and it's fun. And there's always a great deal of singing that goes on. And it's the singing that does my voice in. It's those top lines. I can't resist them. So apologies for being a bit husky for this last part of the show. <clears throat> but I thought I'd better come to a conclusion about this Toyota Auris, which is great. It really is great. I wouldn't say it was characterless. It's very low profile. Can you hear the potholes? We're hitting potholes on the M1 at the moment, near the M25. I've got a term for the traffic that you meet on the M1 where it meets the M25. It all kicks off around about here. There's an awful lot of lane changing people driving really, really fast and squeezing in and not paying attention and all that. And uh, I call them Luton lunatics or Luton ticks, if you want. I'm not blaming the people from Luton. It just seems to be a hub for stuff. It's been okay today, but watch out for that one. What do I think about the styling of this car? I think it's good. I think it's colour dependent. I do wish it was the estate version. I think they call it the sports touring, don't they? Which I think makes it look a bit more complete a car. I've seen a few of them on the road and the sharp pointy deltoid nose that it has that apes the Avensis isn't too bad when it's given a bit of body length. But when you've got a short cut off back the five door it's not as attractive it's not unattractive but i think the longer car is properly attractive proportioned well but hey it's a kurtz car a short car it's a city car because it's a hybrid yeah that makes sense it's all been very calm in the car i did a calculation on the amount of fuel that i used on the 280 miles that it was from my house to Llandidno and then sort of 10 miles back up the road and the last section I was driven pretty spiritedly I drove it in power mode so I got there in plenty of time and enjoyed some country roads in North Wales and I've averaged 60 miles to the gallon which is really very good 
for a petrol car. And in an age when diesel has become unfashionable, I think the pendulum has swung back towards the petrol car and certainly energy recovery. There's going to be an awful lot more of that. And as technology develops in pure electric cars, better batteries, more efficient motors, lighter motors, smaller motors, then those sort of benefits are going to trickle down to hybrids or trickle on over to hybrids. And we'll have some very, very economical, thrifty cars in the future with petrol engines for a little while anyway. Yeah, this car is thrifty. If I had to sum it up in one word, it would be thrifty. You cannot argue. It's not a great driver's car. It's not a bad driver's car. It doesn't roll like a Renault. It stays nice and flat. It's reasonably predictable for a skinny tyre, 16-inch wheels, front-wheel drive car. The electric steering's a little bit numb, but it's kind of effortless. And I've learned that the British traffic system is nothing if not unpredictable because I chose this car thinking it would be stop, start, stop, start all the way to North Wales and it wasn't. We just rolled slowly but rolled and on the way back down to London I've rolled. I've put it in cruise control. I've adapted the speed with the column stalk slightly, barely touched the pedals ever. So I'm not really seeing this car at its best but what I have seen of it has been very good. I'll leave it to you to look up the price and spec and all that. That's it for Gareth Jones on Speed. We'll see you soon. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!